she had been a tap dancer and burlesque dancer, actually. So I guess, you know, she's fairly, like, good on her feet. Sure. Blew up. Oh, he's toying with him now. Uh, hey, Caitlin. Hi, Chris. How are you? Hey, we did an interview this week, but first one piece of uh, summer news, which is that the big names are not playing the Australian, which we've ta- talked about before as one of our favorite tournaments because it's on very late at night and we have kids. Andy Murray, Kane Ishikori, and most importantly, Serena Williams. Serena Williams ranking just slightly ahead of Kane Ishikori. Let's uh, tee up our interview this week about the super seniors, these uh, uh, women specifically who are in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and in one case, 90s division uh, of international tennis competition. And they're awesome, and the pictures are unbelievable. Yes. um, So I'm really excited we got to talk to her about it. So uh, here is the interview with Claire, and uh, not your wife, Claire. Claire, the contributor to Racket, and uh, here we go. I had never been to a tennis tournament before. I don't play tennis, or when I have in my life, it's been very sporadic and very poor. But I did know that there were these senior tennis tournaments. And I originally thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I might as well go to the national championship ones. Um, And so they had the clay court championships were in Houston. You know, I live in New York and Forest Hills is nearby and they were actually holding the grass court championships. So I went in July, I think it was the end of July, and it was crazy hot. And I was like, I don't know how anyone is doing any sort of physical activity outside whatsoever. All of these little ladies and their like white hair and tennis white, you know, jumping around as if they'd done this a million times before, which they actually had. So <laughs> really inspiring. I mean, I found it inspiring reading it, honestly. Like these women, you know, who in a lot of cases have gone away from the game. Some of them played when they were younger, but a lot of them maybe discovered it or sort of honed their craft later in life, which is something I love about tennis. And not a lot of people sort of capture that. They used to call it the sport of a lifetime because you can play into your old age. And um, I feel like your piece really highlighted the fact that like not everybody grew up with a racket in their hand. I ended up talking to way more people than I needed to. And I found that there was two set life stories that these women had. One was um, had never played. And then, you know, their kids went off to college or, you know, they retired if they had had careers and then they started picking it up. So there were a lot of people who started playing in their 50s and 60s. Um, And those women were generally, you know, all right in their 70s or 80s by the time that I was talking to them. And then there were women who had played in their youth in high school. And oftentimes they didn't play in college because until Title IX, they didn't a lot of schools didn't actually have sports teams for women. So most of these women had played when they were young, then had not played for like a good 25, 30 years, and then sort of jumped back in in much the same way. Kids off at school, um, you know, whatever careers that they had had, they had retired or gone part time. And that I found really interesting because, you know, they're essentially competing with people who also had never had never played. And at a certain point, Somehow those two life stories um, sort of ended with the same result where these women were really good and really dedicated and were, you know, yes, they're elderly, but they have trainers. They, you know, one woman did a boot camp class um, and ran stairs all the time. I mean, this was like they were training for this championship. But they were also traveling together, as you note in your piece. Like there is a collegial aspect to this. Yeah. A number of them told me that, you know, they actually weren't were into tennis except that they loved the tournaments um 
but they also were into it enough to train for this, you know, I mean, they're them saying that they're like, well, I only play like five days a week instead of seven. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, you know, travel around and a number of women told me stories about they went to New Zealand together for a tournament. Um, they travel all around the world. Um, the, the women who are older and have retired are the ones a bit more able to do that because there are people in the 30s and 40s age brackets are still working and so don't get to travel around quite as much. Um, but yeah, they're all friends. They hang out. Um, you know, they talk to each other on the phone all the time, that sort of thing, which I thought was also pretty fun. Um, so Wait, they talk on the phone to each other? Not all of them talk all the time, but um, two of the women, Leanne and Brenda, I think, are like really good friends and see each other all the time, even though one of them's in California and one of them is in, I think, South Carolina. But they just end up at the same tournaments together all the time and keep in touch and know each other's kids and that sort of thing. It really is dominant, like 50s, 60s, 70s, because this is when these women have time, which gets to something really interesting about, like, you know, recreational sports. And it's recreational in the sense that, like, people aren't making money at this, but it's also super, super competitive. Yeah. I mean, I just sort of feel that way about running because I run and I know people who, like, run multiple marathons every year and also have kids and families and a job. And I'm like, how do you do that? I have, you know, when I ran one, I, had no free time and didn't see anyone because all I was doing was running. Um, and I think that's a similar issue for, for women in the thirties and forties and even into the fifties age bracket is, you know, you work, you have your family, you have your life. And then, you know, maybe you'll be able to do like one or two tournaments a year, but not nearly as many as, as the women in the, what I would refer to as the advanced age bracket. <laughs> so, so, so who's the one who's most fun to talk to? while you were doing interviews? Oh, uh, that would be this woman named Rita Price, who is 91. She didn't start playing tennis, I think, until she was 49. Um, But she had been a tap dancer and burlesque dancer, actually. So I guess, you know, she's fairly, like, good on her feet and just took to this (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really naturally. And, uh, you know, she plays all the time now and wins so many tournaments that, you know, you get these gold balls and she starts giving them away. When I showed up the second day to talk to her, we'd already met and talked on the phone several times. So she knew me and she was like, oh, good, you're here. Well, I just met this man, so-and-so, who was not involved in the tournament at all, but I liked him so much that I just gave him one of my gold balls. (laughs) And I was like, but what? What? You just met some guy at lunch and gave him one of your trophies? And she's like, yeah, well, I have so many. I don't even know how many I have anymore. Uh, (laughs) It's like a 91-year-old humble brag. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah, but, I mean, she was the most interesting one because she um, she's on fixed income and she sold her house a few years ago and moved in with a friend into an apartment so that she could have money to travel. But now she travels around the world playing tournaments. And because she's in the 90s age bracket, um, there aren't very many people in that one. And so she generally wins everything. Um, so she's like, oh, I just flew to Austria and won $1,000. And, you know, so her life is... Oh, there's money at some of these. Oh, yeah. Oh, there is. I mean, not a ton. Um, I think what the women told me was if you are lucky enough to win, you may get the equivalent of sort of your hotel or Airbnb paid for, maybe your airfare, but you're not actually making a real profit or anything. So it's a hobby that pays for itself, provided that you are either the only person in your in the tournament or 
successful. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. okay. Providing you trounce everyone else, uh, you'll be fine. This is my goal when I'm old to do yeah. this. Oh, you totally should. I bet you could totally beat everyone because, I mean, you're going to end up with people who right now are, you know, for you, unbeatable, may not be at a point in their lives where they can play when they're in their 70s and 80s. You just don't know. So if you just like keep strong, Caitlin, yeah, I think just wait you're just going to keep upright. <laughs> Just wait about. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, my plan is just like drink my whey protein smoothies every day. Right. And just wait 55 years. <laughs> then yeah. you're good to go. The way we know each other is we used to work at Time together, and I've been reading your writing for at least a decade. And one of the things I love about your writing is you have such a good ear for dialogue. Is that something you think about yourself? You know, as a journalist, it's a bit different because you, you obviously like can't make up quotes or anything like that um but you can when people tell you something i just sort of know if it's interesting or not um for the most part i think stuff is generally fairly funny like one of my favorite moments of that whole weekend that i spent with these women was this one woman who isn't really in the story very much but she was just absolutely livid that she had i think she was third seed and the following tournament the next weekend and she was so mad and she was writing this email to the tennis organizers or the tournament organizers in Philadelphia and she stops and looks at me and she's like how do you spell ludicrous <laughs> like, of course wait okay, she was mad because her seed was too low too or... low yeah 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 she thought she should be second seed and she was just wow. like furious and she was like this is ridiculous I'm just gonna give them a piece of my mind <laughs> I was like Okay. <laughs> <laughs> was she part of like part of the social friend group, or was she kind of like an angry outsider to this? She to this was world? in one of the other friend groups that I, I didn't actually make it into the story. But no, she had friends. She was not an angry outsider. <laughs> okay. Okay. But you know that there <laughs> are those people, people, right? Were there any? Um, I mean, just because I remember from my own experience, and I'm sure this is true of running or or Chris, your collegiate experience too. Like there always is like sort of an outcast who like. Maybe they don't socialize with other people. Maybe they're just way more intense than everyone else and, like, can't make eye contact or whatever it is. Were there any characters like that? Or does this sort of collegial vibe really, really not lend itself to being, you know, sort of a, a loner? I bet that there, they are. Those people do exist. And, in fact, they were telling me, the women were telling me that there is someone, but they wouldn't give me her name and she wasn't at that tournament, that apparently um, they feel like she cheats because – they said Forest Hills was very well run and they had people sort of watching and keeping score for these women. But at lower level tournaments, I guess you are allowed to keep score yourself. Um, and they were like, oh, yeah, this one woman just changes the score. <laughs> and I was like, how how is that possible? And they just they said that, you know, she would just like sort of walk over and change it. Um, and you wouldn't be paying attention because you'd be playing. And then later you'd look and you'd be like, hey, I'm pretty sure that that's not correct. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, yeah, but they said she didn't generally win very much, and I, they wouldn't tell me who she was when she wasn't at that tournament. So there, there is some scandal there somewhere. <laughs> well, it sounds like this is ripe for a follow-up, actually. Who's the cheater? <laughs> this all to sort of like the psychology of who does this sort of thing. And like you heard our chat with Carl Bialik last week where we sort of talked about, among other things, he being fascinated at the types of people who play in these recreational sort of leagues that these women do, that I do, that lose on purpose so they'll have a greater chance of winning. And like the psychology of cheating is very much the same thing. I mean, losing on purpose is cheating, I guess. Cheating at a line call in recreational tennis just seems like, who do, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> right. the same people that, you know, when you play board games, sometimes it's people, you know, like Monopoly or something, and someone gets, like, really into it, 
and gets angry and you're like, this is Monopoly. You do realize that these are plastic houses and you are not actually constructing anything on Park Avenue. <laughs> people. I couldn't tell you. I mean, people are not. I hate to state the obvious, but maybe it's like to, to like play into your 80s. You either have to have like a really sunny disposition where it's like, yeah, I'm 80, but I'm still having fun. Or you, you're you like 80, but still driven like by dark demons that like propel you forward. <laughs> maybe that's like the two kind of people that end up playing play, playing like that deep into life. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And for the most part, I would say 95% of the people that I met there were the happy-go-lucky, I'm just happy to be here type of person. Um, so many of them were telling me stories about various, you know, hip ailments and knee replacements and... You know, every time Rita, the the 91-year-old, would talk about playing in the future, she would always go, well, if I'm still around. (laughs) If I'm still on tour. (laughs) She was going to be at the Houston tournament, which was several months before the one at Forest Hills that I ended up writing about. And so when I told her that I was going to do the Forest Hills one instead, she's like, well, let's just hope I'm still around. And I was like, oh, gosh, okay. (laughs) She is still around. She sent me a Christmas card. So Really? Oh, will yeah. you will you take a picture of it and send it to me? Oh. Yes, I will. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome! In your bio, you talk about you know Claire Sutton is a writer for Bloomberg Businessweek. She played tennis once and it went okay. Yep. <laughs> care care to elaborate? Yeah. So I uh, have played, and by played I mean you know picked up a racket and hit a ball over a net, uh, maybe like three times in my life. Um, I just was into other sports when I was a kid. I, for whatever reason, I never had an opportunity to like really explore tennis, I suppose. Um, and so, but you know, my father being retired has made a lot of tennis friends, uh, since he had to take up tennis because that's what everyone does. And he really likes it. And one of his friends is a tennis instructor so he's given me some lessons every time I go there and, you know, it's one lesson a year. So, you know, I'm not making very fast progress. Maybe you can join me in the 80s and over though. Right. Might be fast enough. Having yeah. not really ever played and then really enjoying the afternoons that I have spent out there, um, you know, and I have managed to, you know, somewhat serve correctly and hit the ball where I'm supposed to hit it. Um, and I feel like that's the best I can you know, do at this point in time and were, I don't have kids, but, you know, should job obligations and other life, um, you know, activities not take up so much time, I would totally take up tennis. But right now it's going to have to wait, I think, for me to have like a significant chunk of time available where I can do that because now I just, I run. So that's, that's what I do for fun. So (laughs) said no one ever except you. (laughs) I'll say, why do I do that? Why? This is terrible. Why do I do this? And then later I'm like, ooh, let's go again. (laughs) Well, I think it's probably the same kind of pathology to be like, well, I'm 80, but I'm just going to like get back out there and train seven days a week. That's like what's so amazing about sports, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think whatever sport is your passion, uh, it's hard to explain to people who who don't get that same feeling. Um, I'm working on a story for work right now that does actually involve running and so I had to try to explain why people do it if it's so hard and terrible. Um, and it is, I don't think I actually succeeded, uh, but it's <laughs> great. <laughs> 
So anyway, I'm going to need to revise that story is, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Sounds like it's ready for print. No, I think there is something about just like the idea. And I think this is why it's cool when people take up something. And like one of the things I talked about a little bit in the, like, the last year, making improvements to my game, like changing my game. If you don't incrementally work at something, even if you get worse because you're like aging and you your body's you know defying you and blah blah blah, like there's something nice about not having any outside goal other than your own meticulous improvement. Do you look at your times and you're like, I did slightly better than last time? And you're never gonna win the New York City Marathon. No offense, probably. <laughs> Maybe I will. Be. Right, right, <laughs> right. So bracket there you by go. Bracket. Yeah. No, I mean I think the, you know, and I've thought this about myself before, but the like you know, three things in life that I really love doing is writing, um, which is a very painful and meticulous process, uh, running, which also doesn't really, you know, allow for much social activity. And um, I used to ride horses. So I used to do dressage when I was younger, which I don't do anymore, because it's really expensive. But it was the same thing. It's like a very solitary, you know, personal improvement. Um, you know, sort of activity. And I don't know why, but I'm more drawn to that. I'm not particularly competitive. I get really stressed out about competitions. I only like doing road races now because I'm not actually going to win. Uh, <laughs> so I don't feel <laughs> as stressed. Um, plus, I've done enough now that I like don't get quite as nervous. I feel like if I did play tennis, I would be much more into like improving my serve rather than like, oh, I, I actually beat you. <laughs> yeah I know what you mean and I've kind of like re-embraced the game like that I was talking to this woman much younger than me and I was playing with her and she played in college and she was like oh god it's like so heartbreaking I remember being good and I'm like dude I totally know what you mean but like give it a few more years and you're gonna forget what it was like to be good and then you're gonna forge this like new relationship with it where it doesn't mean that to you but you can't kid yourself about that <laughs> almost everyone on this planet you're not the best at whatever it is that you love. Right. So, you know, if you're a musician, you probably are not the best musician in the world. None of us are, you know, Serena. Um, I'm not Beyonce. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. You know, and so it's like, okay, well, given the fact that I'm not Beyonce, how can I be the best at, well, I don't actually dance or sing, so I have a long way to go, but... <laughs> Great example. You know, <laughs> you know, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not Joan Didion, so... But I can write fairly well. So given the talent that I do have, you know, can I just work on this and make it the best that I can? Um, and it's weird doing what you love for a living because, you know, day to day, there are stories that I write and things that I do that I'm not particularly passionate about. Um, but when I do work on something, like I really liked writing the story um, because I pitched it. Um, I love old people. And I get along really well with them. The whole <laughs> just a joy. I was like, Rita, tell me about the depression. This is not part of the story, but <laughs> uh, that's why they're sending you Christmas cards because you forge deep emotional bonds. Exactly. Um, you know, so I just you try to do the best that you can, and you know, everyone listening is probably not Serena. Although I bet Serena also listens to this. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're pretty sure she does. Yeah. So, you know, you just have to do the best that you can. And given who you are, you know, what do you want to do with your life? That feels like a really good place to end right there. <laughs> it's a great ender. 